welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Brien. And this is We Podicano, an Our Band Could Be Your Life miniseries. We're taking a journey through Michael Azarad's chronicle of the 1980s American underground rock scene, finishing today with Chapter 13, Beat Happening. Coming out of Olympia, Washington, Beat Happening was the artistic brainchild of super twee super scenester Calvin Johnson, along with his buddies Heather Lewis and Brett Lunsford. Keeping their music defiantly simple and confrontationally playful, Johnson would build Beat Happening and his label K Records into an international bastion for a form of earnestness punk that came to be known as Love Rock, all in the hazy days at the end of 80s indie, before the dawn of grunge. And today we'll be learning all about Johnson, Kay, and of course exploding the teenage underground into passionate revolt against the corporate ogre through chapter 13 of Our Band Could Be Your Life. But first, let's introduce our guest. She is the author of Larger Than Life, A History of Boy Bands. Folks, it's Maria Sherman. Welcome to the show, Maria. Hi, thanks for having me. Also, confrontationally playful. They should put that on my tombstone. That's really <laughs> spot on. I love that. You know, I labored <laughs> over uh, confrontationally playful or playfully confrontational for a while, but I figured the uh, the former was a little more accurate. Yeah, you nailed it. You nailed it for sure. <laughs> After 98 of these, I, I hope I'm getting pretty good at those little skills. <laughs> uh, Maria, I'm so excited to be talking about Beat Happening today. I think going through this whole book uh, maybe says a lot about me that of all these bands, I think Big Black and Beat Happening are my two favorite as like a whole band aesthetic. So <laughs> I love talking about this band and thinking yes. about them. Great. Yeah. Amazing. I'm excited about that. Uh, so by way of introduction, let's jump right in. Uh, what, what, how did you come to Beat Happening? What, what, what's your history with Beat Happening? Yeah, I have sort of two answers to this. Um, the first is that when I was in high school, I got to school early um, because my parents had to drop me off. It was in Germany. I couldn't drive. It's sort of a boring side story. Um, but it meant that I spent a lot of time uh, in the early morning in the library alone with the librarian, uh, which <laughs> not to set myself up as a precious <laughs> twee person, but like maybe I had no choice. It was sort of environmental factors. Um <laughs> But for some reason, there would always be books that were donated to the school library that um, I guess the librarian didn't really want. Or I, I, It's weird. I don't know why a librarian would get rid of books, but for whatever reason, she did. And they would go to a public library, but sometimes she would like let me sneak a peek into whatever she was planning on getting rid of. Um, and in my senior year of high school, one of those books was the 1991 Trouser Press. And I'm pretty sure... That would have been my initial um, education in Beat Happening. But it was weird. I approached that book like it was its own narrative work. Like I would read it and I wouldn't necessarily listen to things right away, um, which now I'm like, maybe I was just being pretentious and trying to like <laughs> recapture the 1980s in some sort of way of like, oh, what's this like weird band from the UK that I can't hear? And of course, I could hear it very, very easily. I am... <laughs> not yet 30 years old. It was of a time where I could easily look it up. Um, so there's that portion of it. Um, but I think the real sort of initial enthusiasm and excitement came uh, when I was a freshman in college. Um, when I was 17, I started interning for Jack Rabbit at the Big Takeover. Uh, Big Takeover, excuse me, I should enunciate. Um, 
I think he's in our, he must be in our band could be your life, but if he's not, he's certainly a, a player in this scene. I haven't reread <laughs> um, the book in quite some time. So uh, he kind of helped me in my indie rock education. I was sort of being deprogrammed from the horrible third wave emo and pop punk I was listening to in high school. Uh, <laughs> and and so this book and, and his taste really sort of helped and in, inform me and, and my thinking and for a long time, I was like the youngest person at every mission of Burma show. And then eventually I was like, wait a second. I love indie pop best. Um, <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> beat happening is, uh, is I guess, always been sort of a through line in, in that musical discovery. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you describing yourself as the youngest person at uh, mission of Burma shows is uh, a good <laughs> a good bookend to um, – Rob Sheffield describing going to Mission of Burma reunion shows and it just being a coterie of guys in their late forties all crying together. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I, I certainly saw him at those shows before before I knew him personally. But yeah, totally. I he's hard to miss. He's he was, a tall guy. Yeah, he was the he was the tall guy who was crying and smiling. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen Rob cry at, at plenty of shows. I think yeah. most memorably the Softies reunion uh, when Chick Factor, the fanzine, had their reunion shows. I don't even know when that, maybe like 10 years ago at this No, it can't be that long. But at some point they had a reunion show and, and he was crying to all of the post-beat happening bands. So, yes, yeah. I, I believe I've seen Rob cry at karaoke nights. That's just the kind yeah. of guy he is. <laughs> Yeah. He's a very, he, he is like beat happening earnestness punk talk about the yes. softies am i right <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is all in the highest possible praise to rob yeah mm-hmm. uh do you do you want to go molly yeah i'll go i didn't this is a classic uh maria at this point it's a joke in the pod that a lot of these bands i had simply not heard of until i read this book five years ago or ever and i read it and this was one of them and like had really really never heard of them like dinosaur jr i had at least like i i knew the the buzz um but i had like (laughs) literally never heard it be happening like you i was i was trapped in a a certain prison of third wave emo in my youth um it's very all-consuming so it took me a lot longer to to get outside of that than i I do think that there is a deprogramming that (laughs) needs to happen and maybe some sort of official regimen uh that that involves like a, a combination of like playlists and, and books and stuff. But uh, course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> once I, I have to say, like you, Chris, Be Happening is one of my favorite like overall band aesthetics and beings in the entire book. Um, their whole, I mean, we'll get into it, but their whole their whole thing really their speaks thing. to me. Their whole thing, because <laughs> I'm a I'm a re- I was going to say a recovering twee person, but I don't think you ever actually recover from that. So. You hold it in I'm your heart. I'm scandalized. I don't know why. I guess you could grow out of twenty. I don't know. <laughs> Am I At crying yet? <laughs> my my uh my I have a friend who her Instagram story was she was uh, doing this like deep dive into Y2K fashion and she's like and all these really horrific outfits with like those gigantic belts and such uh, and horrible pants and then at the end she just put like anyways and it was one of those bright eyes t-shirts that had the crying girl with the violin and I was just mm. like oh yeah mm. that's my shit <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's that's me Chris what about you and, and Beat Happening uh, this is a classic for me a, a band that I stole from the records of the Trumans Kelsey and Nathan friends of the show mm-hmm. um, Kelsey was I think Kelsey was a bigger fan she was my high school girlfriend who kind of introduced me to uh, to Beat Happening and I think like you know trying to be a, a little punk kid I would have th- thought of things that I thought of as tweef when I first learned that term. Um, you know, I don't know, fucking like maybe even the shins or something if I was like naively applying it to, to that. 
uh, or even like Bell and Sebastian, which I got into eventually. I was like, eh, I don't know, this is a little too soft for me. But then you go to Beat Happening, and you're like, not only this is this is like the classic ice cream combo. I like it is soft and hard. You know, <laughs> yes. And, uh, this, for those who don't know, the soft and hard is is the scoop of hard ice cream in a cup topped with soft serve. Uh, which is what I always get at upstate ice cream shops. Summer twenty one, we're we're blowing that shit we're bringing, up. We're bringing back the soft and hard. But yeah, yeah there, there's something so uh, like yes, essentially sweet and coy and naive about them, but also like hard in a weird way. Uh, just like you know, as I said, uh, playfully confrontational. That that it was such an immediate hook, and then they're also just so catchy, uh, mm-hmm. and all the songs like all the songs that are actually real songs once you get past the first album where they're like a bunch of half songs uh (laughs) they're just waver between just like catchy fun like great stupid jokes and then like legitimately beautiful in in such a way plus they have the whole aesthetic plus they're the pacific northwest thing plus there's the record label it's just like every part of them are so it's so complete that that it is it was very immediately entrancing for me and and I, they were one of the few bands that I was like a, you know, every album fan of before I had read the book. Uh, so, yeah, I, I go hard for Beat Happening. Did That's, you know the story? Like, did you know the narrative when you were listening to all the tunes or was that new to you once you read it? I mean, I think the full shape of it, I kind of knew that, you know, by the time I got out of high school, I kind of knew that they were like, yeah, they were Pacific Northwest legends. And it was like kind of the brainchild of this one guy. And they were associated with the the label K and, you know, like Kurt Cobain was a big fan of them. So they had like that cred. But, you know, the whole like the the whole scope of the scene and then also like the scope of the uh, endearing weirdness of Calvin Johnson was was fully fleshed out uh, through reading the book. I'm kind of surprised that we all are fans, maybe just by, <laughs> by virtue of like rereading the chapter and, and hearing it described as such divisive music, which like, of course, I kind of knew historically with anything this weird coming out of anywhere. I imagine there will be mm-hmm. naysayers, um, but it's interesting that we're all on board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess that that is interesting because. You understand, as you're saying, yeah, you understand, like, why at the time, like, seeing Beat Happening open for big for Black Flag in 1984 would be something that would, like, piss people off. Right. Uh, but, you know, given the benefit of, you know, 30 years time, you're like, yeah, no, of course it's a punk. This rocks. It's, 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 easy, it's more easy to understand how it fits in with everything. And I think that in its own way makes it less immediately objectionable or confrontational in the way that it, it, it seemed like it was. Uh but I don't know. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are listening to this, probably some people who are uh, more, I don't know, like Minor Threat or, or Dinosaur Junior fans. So I like to think that our listeners have a, a broad base uh, taste who sure. are like, you know what? I, we'll see. I get, I get what they're doing, <laughs> but these guys suck. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sound we off in the see. comments, I guess. <laughs> if you, air quotes, get it. Right. <laughs> but not if you don't. <laughs> Please yeah. don't if you don't. Yeah, yeah. JK, yeah. JK. Um, should we should we get into their their tale the tale yeah. of a bee happening all right yes. let's do it uh, Olympia Washington uh, as Azarad writes a peaceful immaculate town of thirty thousand <laughs> just like the opposite of basically every other town in this book except for maybe like Amherst just like a, a nice beautiful idyllic small town uh, and that's where we find Calvin Johnson. Um, he spent some of his childhood in Olympia because his father was the press secretary to the governor of Washington, uh, Alberto Rez- Rossellini, in the 60s. Um, so we've got another sort of government 
a government boy. Uh, yeah, a government functionary. <laughs> a government functionary son. Um, he got involved in his adolescence in, I'm assuming you pronounce it chaos, K-A-O-S, the community yes. uh, radio station in Olympia. Um, apparently the I, DJs. I like to yes. do uh, just, uh, you just kind of slur all the letters together. So you say them all, but you still go like chaos. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see. A side um, note, just, I was looking at pictures of Olympia right, right before we lo- uh, walked on, and it, it looks as beautiful as it sounds. It looks like a little postcard town. It's maybe like as close as we get in America to like uh, 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 Scandinavian little villages. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a little dark now. There, have been, there was like a series of arsons last time I was there, and some of those like buildings in downtown oh, no. oh, God. destroyed. Uh, I will say, though, uh, my parents lived outside of um, Olympia for a couple of years, so I would, like, take the bus in and go in, and it was cool, and and Kay's still as open as they always have been. Uh, It's now in a converted synagogue, and, like, you can just kind of hit them up, and Calvin will give you the tour, and it's it's really nice and and accessible in that way, but... um, yeah, the, the city is, is idyllic, but I don't know, man. Everywhere is having a hard time. Yeah, these I days. guess that's the thing is like everybody's having that. Can I can I ask Maria, Germany uh, to Washington, were you military family? Yeah, military brat adjacent. Uh, parents worked for the government and yeah, that's yeah, okay. that's that's it. You got my number. <laughs> it's always like if, if a childhood includes like both various uh, US cities and Germany, it's military. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true, yeah. Um so yeah, he's he's getting involved in radio. He has a, a punk rock hour where he kind of both discovers and explores uh, all all the wonderful like punk and post punk bands that we've been talking about this whole time. He also said that usually the DJs uh, at the radio station were hippies and played pretty bad <laughs> music, <laughs> which you got. I guess you got to start somewhere. Um, he was also involved in a zine called Op Magazine, um, which was an offshoot of the record label. And then he went to Evergreen State College, which was in in Olympia proper, right? Yes. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that his like mentor and the guy who started Op Magazine uh, was like a, a folk music guy and like mm-hmm. was into like regional folk scenes because that is such a classic like punk funnel, you know, like thinking about it as like the the New York punk scene and or like Velvet Underground punk scene in the sixties. Like a lot of those impulses came from guys who were like big chroniclers of folk music and the original Folkways records. Like fi- filtered into that like early sixties un- or underground New York scene. So it's interesting that even though this is like two decades later, that that impulse of like chronicling and supporting like folk and bluegrass regional scenes attracts the same kind of people who would then become like a new generation of punks. Yeah. And I guess there's the sort of shared musical curiosity sort of across genre there. Uh, the guy you're talking about is John Foster. And as kind of a community radio and college radio dork, uh, I kind of <laughs> idealized this guy. He was, uh, he was a homeless teen, I think when he gets to chaos in, in the seventies and then sort of decides, um, uh, that he's going to change the way that independent radio functions and that there has to be 80% independent music performed or played on air, um, which is still something that endures. And I think that's how I think of college radio. And, and without mm-hmm. this guy kind of doing his thing, um, that wouldn't be the case. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll go to like a thrift store or flea market and I'll go through the crates. And if the, sometimes like the records will still have like the green line sticker, which I always kind of find to be sort of a sweet <laughs> homage to this man. And um, as in they I'm, used to be in the, in the chaos stacks. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it could have been anywhere. Like cause college radios, you know, everybody's kind of mimicking whatever mm-hmm. works across country. 
Um, and now I feel like a huge dork for sharing that little no, uh, little tidbit. No, yeah, uh, I've, I've been talking about my college radio experiences the uh, this entire oh, uh, this cool. entire time because it is it's like this is where all this stuff got incubated. So uh, it, it feels very relevant to talk about the 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 people who are nurturing those impulses. Right on, for sure. Um, so yeah, he's he's getting embroiled in that world um, and starts thinking about. Uh, basically, institutions that are about decentralizing the economy, decentralizing <laughs> the modes of production, and localizing your spending habits. And he also referenced the uh, local food co-op as another example <laughs> of that, which, you know, an iconic food co-op. We, we, we love to see it. Yes. Uh, I, my, one of my greatest shames of the, my last few years is finally quitting the, uh, the Park Slope food co-op. Uh, I, just, I just couldn't it's hack tough. it anymore. <laughs> It's it not. Just, it's not for the weak. Weak. It was, uh, of it was demanding too much for me. It. Uh, it didn't. It no longer inspired joy. <laughs> but maybe someday I'll go back. I just remember you posting on Instagram that you were making up a shift and uh, like hashtagged fiddleheads and like some random fiddlehead company found you being like, yeah, <laughs> I believe that that fiddlehead fern selfie uh, got uh, got reposted to the Park Slope Co-op's official Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you were out. Yeah, that was it. Fame, <laughs> but first, my first uh, uh, brush with fame. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Inf- influencing. Influencing. Yes. Um, so he he is thinking about creating a record label. He models K Records. He founds K Records. He models it after Sub Pop. Sub Pop was a uh, inspiration in a lot of ways, including uh, focusing on releasing cassettes instead of records because they are cheaper and easier to produce. Um, so that's Calvin's ba- baseline. We theoretically will have talked about Sub Pop on the next last episode that we were. Yeah, we're going out is, of order, which oh, is okay. in the future. But we will be ha- we will have covered Sub Pop in the Mud Honey app, right? Uh, correct. Yes. 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 Um, meanwhile, we've got Heather Lewis. She's from Westchester. She came to Evergreen, basically never having thought about being in a band in her entire life, and then was exposed to people being in bands and playing music and was like, <laughs> oh, I, oh, I could do that. I'm interested in that. She ended up in a band called, just an amazing name, The Supreme Cool Beings, <laughs> which, I mean, I don't, real, I don't know how you get a better band name. Uh, they put out a cassette on K Records. It was Survival of the Coolest in 1982. See, Survival of the Coolest is the title of something there that I think is, is really hot, you know? <laughs> I think together it, it just yeah. works. I haven't looked up if there is uh, album art related you know, to that, but I'm uh, guessing it's probably sick if they uh, if it still survived. I was I was looking up stuff to play on this. I didn't look up if there was any Supreme Cool Beings recordings that exist. Sure. Let me let me look into that real while, quick. While you're looking, shouting out another early release again, talking about this kind of maybe folk tradition or sort of not you know non traditional tradition. Uh, K Records put out Danger Is Their Business, which was a collection of acapella tunes sung by local (laughs) non-musicians. The idea being that singing acapella is as punk rock as having purple hair or a mohawk, which I thought I think is I think it's valid. I think it's accurate. It's very raw and vulnerable to sing acapella. (laughs) Oh, I'm also just imagining like a gawky, uh, you know, Calvin Johnson with a uh, like a whatever recorder he had cassette recorder at the, at the time, just coming up to people, just being like, Hey, can you sing for me? <laughs> just whatever you want. Just sing your heart. It's cool. It'd uh, be a cool project to like 
keep doing, honestly. I bet you get some crazy shit. Hey, do you guys want to hear some supreme cool beings off of Survival yeah. of the Coolest? Great. Yeah, here's, do it. Here's a song called Our Advice to You. This is our advice to you. <laughs> about this to me is that this is like downright prog compared to the first beat happening recordings. <laughs> Man, I love saxophone. Take your clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I, I think that's also the... Uh, Maybe the first reason to bring up something that'll be a through line in this chapter, according to Azarad, which is the subtle but definite horniness of this scene. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's subtle, but yeah, the idea yeah. that there's uh, <laughs> this sort of kind of funky, funky jam. Well, I mean, as, as he goes to content. Well, yeah, as he goes through this entire uh, this chapter, he keeps alluding to uh, over and over again how uh, how how uh, horny and then uh, you know p- partner swapping and like all yeah, sorts yeah. of uh, uh, you know canoodly the the Olympia scene was. In this canoodly. Time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like apparent in a lot of beat happening songs, right? Yeah. I always think like uh, like anything. I mean, I don't consider beat happening to be like a twee band, and I guess we could deconstruct that. What what twee means? <laughs> Hor- I would love to. Yeah, <laughs> horrible and also a beautiful word. Uh, I, I see them <laughs> as more of sort of like the beginning of like American indie pop in in a lot of ways. Sure, um, yeah. mm-hmm. and and so much of that music because it's sort of marginalized or or kind of criticized for being. I don't know, self-infantilizing or childlike, mm-hmm. you hear all these terms, uh, is that people sometimes miss that it's, like, always been super sex-forward. Like, <laughs> in yeah. every iteration, mm-hmm. there's always some, like, I don't know, like, fucking in the library type song that exists throughout. Um, and, yeah, so, but so I, like, appreciated it when rereading the chapter that I was like, of course, Azarad is, is mentioning this so it yeah, doesn't yeah. get lost to history. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah, hear yeah. it immediately, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's Heather Lewis. Heather ends up in a group with Calvin along with, uh, uh, this other person, Laura Carter, and the band is called Laura, Heather, and Calvin, uh, which, you know, again, simple, effective. They played a show at the show was Brett Lunsford. Brett is a novice guitarist from a remote Northern Washington town. Um, just side note, I guess I've never been to Washington, I know it's a big state, you know, sometimes we have a bunch of big states. It's crazy to hear how many like tiny towns there are in Washington. Like it really, it, it gave me a different picture of the state that I don't think I was aware of that. It's like very <laughs> frontiery, obviously. Cause like that's, that's the, that's the end of the road, but uh, it just, it sounds it was, like when this, the very, it's the Northwest corner. It's, yeah. it's, you can't the, go further in either directions unless you go to Alaska. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have to you have to to leave to come back. But uh, <laughs> the um, 
Like the later on beat happening tours and they basically do like a regional tour of the Pacific Northwest. And it just sounds like it was incredibly long and they just played like these tiny, tiny towns. And I, I don't know. It's, it's very interesting to me, but anyway, that's where Brett's from. Uh, he says that watching, uh, Heather, uh, Laura, Heather and Calvin, uh, strike stroke strikes a spiritual chord in me and a bunch of musical chairs shuffled and Calvin Johnson ended up asking Brett to join the band that he is starting with Heather. And the thesis statement was very clear. He said, we should call it Beat Happening and we should go to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Which, honestly, shoot your shot, dude. <laughs> uh, Michael Razorad said <laughs> he described the band as having a macaroni and cheese lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> which I, you know, it's a simple way of put like just the idea that they're they're kind of like renting movies and like having sleepovers and they're playing drums made out of like yogurt containers. Like it's very, very, very they're playing an electric guitar from a thrift store that doesn't have an amplifier. They're switching instruments like it sounds very it it kind of reminds me of like when you create like a you have like a sleepover and you create like a secret society with your friends, except it was a band. Yeah. Yeah, the band is like a sleepover that kind of lasted for a decade. <laughs> um, so yeah, that but that's sort of a, a Azarad says it's kind of like <laughs> Sorry, a deceptive. To, yeah, to yeah, yeah, drill it, but it is like yeah, it's like the macaroni and cheese lifestyle. But let's have a sleepover that ends up with us touring Japan. Is like that? It's such a perfect encapsulation of like you know the the s- simplicity of the vision, but also that Johnson just like. He knows that he wants the world to to like understand his his vision from the from the get go, and I, I think the, the like starting the band with the idea of like we're gonna get, we're gonna take this to Japan, uh, we're we're going to be we're gonna like hang out in my apartment and like drum on yogurt containers, but we're going to be also fucking cheap trick and play <laughs> at Budokan. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that it was also Japan because Calvin's always had an obsession with it. In fact, uh, if you go to Rainy Day Records in Olympia, he'll do like little mixtapes of certain eras of like Japanese music that you can buy. And I have one that's from this time period where they're in Japan. Um, it's also just kind of an interesting idea that like Japan at the time, this is sort of like in the early 80s. Kawaii and like cuteness as as a trend has started to become more and more prevalent, also mm-hmm. adopted by like young women who are kind of like anti, I guess, patriarchal society. They're using cuteness to sort of rebel against like, you know, being in the kitchen or whatever. Um, You know, the image of Hello Kitty and Twee, I think are really related and then get sort of unpacked um, during Riot Girl as like Mm anti-feminist statement. But I always Mm -hmm. think that idea is just so perfect because I'm like, of course you want to go to the cutest place on the planet with this band before any of this stuff like really takes off. It's just so ambitious and visionary in a weird way. The Hello Kitty, just like the image of the Hello Kitty face, the classic one, as like something that you can assign like infinite amounts of meaning to over the last like forty years. Like every five years it can like switch basically whether it is totally. like pro feminist or like the, the the enemy of feminism or like what kind of thing you want to assign to it. It's like one of those perfect and hey Makes sense that Calvin Johnson would make a little uh, cartoon cat, uh, yeah. one of the single singular logos of K Records, because it is just like that one of those perfect little things where it's like, you know, uh, on our other pod, me and Molly talk about things that can be like cultural chaos rooms, like uh, <laughs> things that uh, that are like very simple, but 
in their baffling simplicity can like drive drive people mad trying to assign or take meaning from them. And I feel like totally. something like the Hello Kitty symbol or like the K yeah. Records cat is something like the that. Right. What does it mean? Yeah. What does it all mean? <laughs> what are we assi- What are we making it mean? What are we assigning to it? What are we taking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is what's the signifier here? Uh or what's what's the signified rather? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they it's kind of I mean talk about, you know, pointing into the rafters and saying where you want to hit your home run. <laughs> yeah. They go to Japan like Calvin managed he arranges like a school credit to study Japanese energy use management. Um, and he also has an assignment to cover Japanese underground music for uh, Op magazine, which he basically could not. I mean, in typical underground fashion, especially if you're in fucking Japan, uh, he could not find the underground music because it was underground. Um, and then he a was a little maybe a presumptuous to think like, yeah, I'm going to take a two month trip to Japan as somebody who doesn't speak the language and uh, uh, find under an underground music scene there. <laughs> that's a, that's a tough, tough ask, honestly. Uh, but he was browsing a record shop and found a label called power station, uh, which, you know, that was like an underground rock label that included combining the, both his assignments of power of Japanese power <laughs> usage and underground music. Didn't even put that together. Talk about talk about power management. Um, <laughs> and uh, Sh- Shonen Knife was on that label, uh, girl girl band that was you know it was at, apparently according to Azarad at this point it was like literally not cool or okay to like be a girl in a band like society societally like that was something that you needed to keep under wraps. Um, but he he found him. He dug him. And then Beat Happening also played. <laughs> they played a high school and a few clubs. <laughs> So they found their gigs, they played Japan, and the funniest thing about this whole trip is that they recorded an EP while they were there, which they then came home and they were like, this is recorded in Tokyo, guys, <laughs> and just like no one really cared. I just lo- I love that, trying to give it like a vintage uh, of, you know, something fresh and different and be like, this isn't a regular EP, we recorded this in Japan, like it's, it's cool. Yeah, it's a live at Budokan, <laughs> yeah. or like maybe right outside at the Budokan High School. <laughs> The, the high school down the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they that was kind of like their start. Strangely, uh, they you know the songs themselves were you know as what Azarat is saying had tapped into something classic. So it's like retro, you know, it's stuff from the '60s or stuff from the '50s even that they're kind of subverting into um, to punk music. But it's also the punk is coming from as we keep talking on this mini series. What is punk in Beat Happening's case? It is playing yogurt containers and <laughs> switching instruments, or like not, you know, if an amp goes out in the middle of your performance, just being like, okay, and just like playing through it anyway. That's their their kind of personal attitude toward, you know, it's why they ended up on the same bill as someone like Henry Rollins. Uh, Should we listen to some tunes? Yes, I was just going to go to that. Okay, so I was trying to do some research on this because now okay. all these early tapes are compiled into what is commonly released as their like first record, uh, mm-hmm. the beat happening, self-titled. Uh, so it's a little hard for me to figure out what comes from what. I'm sure real, real beat happening heads would know, but I would like to start with a look around from um, the beat happening first record. So this is look around. She loved another boy, a boy who said. 
wants to hear a boy laugh. She wants to see a boy cry. Dear and am I Like, I, I can't even figure out the right way to describe Calvin Johnson's voice. It's like, it's both like, it's so confident, it's dripping with charisma, but it's also, it's hard to describe it without saying it's like bad in some way, but it's also <laughs> so good, you know? It's, it's, it's like, it's all the things in it. It's like, it, it, I, it's daring you to take it seriously, is, is what I feel like, in a, especially in the early recordings, you know? Yeah. I also struggle with that. And then, like, going back and reading reviews of the early stuff at the time, I think everybody's just sort of accepted his baritone as, like, taking the place of bass. And I'm like, I guess I could see that, but that feels limiting in the sort of contours of his voice. Mm, I kind yeah. of, now I, now I sort of think of it as, like, a himbo baritone. <laughs> like it's, like, confident and, like, sexy, but in, in a way that's a little obnoxious. And, uh, yes, yes. Yeah. But that's, that's it's, <laughs> it's obnoxious and he kind of knows it, but he just doesn't care, you know? Right. Yeah, it's like it it's like a like minimal crooning. Like it's crooning without any like flair or extras. Like it's just the very like bare bones crooner, like loud almost like, like lounge singer vibes. And yes, lounge singer is is interesting because yeah. it, it harkens back to all that that sexy stuff. I picked this one specifically because I felt like it had the uh, the yogurt cups aesthetic. Oh yeah, I hear that yeah. yogurt. <laughs> I hear that Dannon popping. The way the guy from the wipers mic'd those yogurt cups on this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> start, start a 45-minute podcast interview just on the, the engineering of the yogurt. Get, get, uh, get into yeah. it. Yeah. Engineering is generous, but I assume... <laughs> yeah, I th- so, so that's what I say. I assume that these, these are one of the... Um, perhaps one of the... Japan tapes towards the end of this album, the, the the fidelity goes down even more than from the beginning. So, mm. and I know that they like recorded in Japan, like just by like hooking up some boom boxes next to each other. So, I, I think that that might be that rather than their their actual quote studio uh, things more towards the beginning. But what I really want to get to, and this might even be a little later in the narrative, but we're playing music right now. We're playing music. Uh, I do have to play our secret, which. I think, for, or for for my opinion, is one of the most tremendous songs created by any of the bands in this book. It is, the, the song is just like beautiful and powerful and haunting and silly and stupid. It's like, it's just got all the things and then it also has like nothing in it. You know, it's like <laughs> making the most out of the least and, it, and that has its power. This is one of my favorite songs in the book. Uh, Our Secret, Beat Happening, off of their uh, first album.
to play through the first long why. a karaoke Chris I know I do have to do this a karaoke um, honestly I do think that like one of the punkest things in any of these songs is just how long he holds those fucking Y's they're so good yeah he does it with a lot of vowel sounds right and then it becomes its own level of like distortion it's so it's so good it's so yeah. good <laughs> um, yeah the, the, this song is it, it feel. I mean, it does. It, in its own way, it feels like a transmission from another planet. And, and I think that <laughs> towards the end, um, we'll get into this more about how all these different groups from around the world had kind of like stumbled onto this aesthetic together, but independently, which I think is really interesting in terms of um, uh, rocks. It's great. <laughs> uh, which I think is really interesting in like a cultural... I don't know if this is the right word, de- deployment of this in like meme in like the original sense of just like cultural forces evolving towards certain things that it would develop it, it, almost in like an evolutionary sense of mm. like con- convergent evolution of different things into, you know, wh- whether it's the Vaseline someplace or even like the B-52s, which I guess are a little earlier than this, but it, it's still a lot of the same aesthetics. It's, it's just fascinating that all these people would develop the same idea around the same time, but there's something about its specific way as expressed in our secret that I just think is so perfect. I want to know, like, I mean, l- listen, I, I love these arrangements, but the tunes are so good and like weirdly catchy that there's a part of me, uh, uh, that just wants to hear them like fully built out and like totally hi-fi and glossy because I feel like they would also like murder. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Even the first one that we listened to, I'm just like, if that got the like full on like glossy retro pop treatment, it would be completely unstoppable. But I understand why they did it the way they did it, because any yogurt yogurt cups are plentiful, and it's it's easy, and uh, I mean not I wouldn't say easy, it's simple. There's yeah. a difference. Yeah, I think, but that's also why like beat happening is covered so frequently i think like maybe a lot of people get into this band through actually hearing a cover like of indian summer or something which we can talk about later but yeah it's that it's you know the the hooks are good and and that's all there needs to be um but yeah yeah i mean it is with a lot of these bands it's funny to think if that they'd gotten the chance to like just continue on into a like a, a what we understand now is like a normal band trajectory and what like you know if beat happening had gotten another 10 years to do their thing well, here's the thing is like maybe not if they got another 10 years, but if they just kind of went and like come back like 10 years later with like a built up fandom and then maybe like got to do like an arena show eventually, <laughs> like which they could oh, maybe yeah. do at this point, even though it just seems like they could never get the whole thing back together. Like what it would sound like if they had play, kept playing for 20 more years, mm-hmm. yeah. like a, a string section to beat happening. Imagine. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, it wasn't just the tunes that were uh, that kind of retro, innocent, kitschy kind of vibe. The whole social scene in Olympia was very much this way as well. Uh, quote, people in their early 20s were having pajama parties and tea <laughs> parties and twister parties. 
And as Bruce Pavitt from Sub Pop said, uh, instead of getting together for speedballs, you'd get together and make a pie or something. <laughs> uh, it's It all sounds very adorable in a way that I... You know, I I was saying to Chris before I was like, please don't don't kill me for uh, uh, repeating this on air that it reminds me of like the current trend towards like cottage core and like trad aesthetics. Like everyone now is on TikTok being like, I want a garden. I want a, a fireplace. I want to make, you know, a, a mince pie, mince pie, <laughs> mince meat pie. Wow. Uh, and I feel like that this is just another like repeating cycle of kind of like going super hard on like technology and the future uh, versus like trying to lean back on the, 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 the good old days, dare I say, not that they were right. ever good, but yeah. Good, things that are comfortable and, yeah. mm-hmm. and precious. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause like even a cottage, I'm like, you could see a cottage in the Pacific Northwest. It's yeah. very much like weather wise comparable <laughs> to like the UK or something, which is also interesting to think of like, how this music, like we mentioned Vaseline's, but I think of like the pastels and, sure, sure. and and all those bands like coming from similar climates where I guess it's raining all the time. And what else are you going to do other than have a tea party inside and uh, yeah, bang on some yogurt cups or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jamming. Tea, tea and toast and jam and some more jam. It is. It does also just sound like Johnson had the scene in that town just wired around him in a really interesting way. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. Kurt Cobain himself, uh, the man himself, called the uh, acolytes of Calvin Calvinites. Like he <laughs> he was he was in town and he noticed. It sounds like uh, you know he it, it was quoted. It seemed his role bordered on cult leader at times. Um, it, among many of his like rules and uh, you know layers of influence among people that he was hanging out with in the scene. No onions. No onions allowed in cooking. <laughs> Uh, that would have been a big problem for me. I mean, I guess, I guess it's like an <laughs> ultimate expression of like kind of a, a big fish, small pond type thing where it's like if mm-hmm. you're a guy in a small scene and you have a strong aesthetic that you can just like make it, make it so. Totally. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think there's a reason he never left. I, I mm-hmm. think that's still kind of the case. I mean, obviously this music isn't in vogue in the same way that it once was, but it certainly ha- you get the feeling that like Calvin runs the town. <laughs> it's like it's a company town yeah. <laughs> pa- paid in a, a adorable uh, doodles as as script yeah but i will say that's an it's an interesting thing to be able to accomplish even though it is a small town in a town that's so like such a college town i mean it is the capital of the state but like to me it's just a bunch of freaks running around in mullets now or, or whatever's in vogue you know yeah um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but yeah, he he maintains uh, his power. <laughs> yeah, but I guess I hope he doesn't like... listen to this. It's all horrible. But uh, <laughs> I, I admire him. You know, whatever. I, I think we're all, we can all say that we're we're big Calvin fans. I I would <laughs> suppose that that he under understands that he is a local eccentric figure in the in the uh, the Pacific Northwest mythos. Uh, right. In in the ways that that all of those things can be can exist. Uh, but that's also yeah. the thing about being like in a college town. You know, is like. Mm a certain percentage of it is always cycling out. And so the yeah. people who stick around have much deeper and more uh, idiosyncratic connections with, with it because you are part of a, in a college town. That's also the capital. So the people who are there for politics are also cycling in and out. So right. the, the permanent residents ha- have, a, you know, a much, much more um, authority in, in, in the, in the realm. Yeah, whenever I'm there, I feel like it like the dream of the 90s is still alive and I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm like projecting that onto it, but it <laughs> seems like the energy is still intact. I mean, there's still only like 
three restaurants and they're all vegan. I mean, there's more than three, but like it, it yeah. certainly has that uh, has that energy, which, you know, I appreciate. I love that. It's, I'm just thinking if uh, if Calvin ever decided to move out of Olympia, that it just reminds me of when um, when Karen O from the AAS like started dating Spike Jones and moved to LA and like everyone reported on it being like the New York girl has moved to LA. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? If Calvin is like, I'm going to go to um, Boston. Uh, <laughs> Abilene. Just yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Shaking it up. Everyone loses their minds. Uh, so yeah, they put out their self-titled debut album in 1985 uh we should should we listen to that's our that? se- our secret and oh that that's from that yeah our secret okay uh, well that's like a single from around that time uh you know what why don't we listen to one more off of this yeah uh, this, they, ha- they weren't as prolific as a uh, as uh, uh, some this of also our has earlier bad seeds on it one of their one of their classics let's do bad seeds off this one <laughs> Keep us apart from the other kids They try to keep us from each other When the good is what they say But we just see this world in a different way We're bad, bad seeds, bad, bad Bad, bad seeds, we're bad Bad seeds, bad, bad Bad, bad seeds They make a lot of it's funny because um, I guess this is like slightly more recognizably quote uh, punk and it's like very top level aesthetics, you know, a little distorted guitar a little faster. But it is funny that I was just thinking about, I was just editing our Sonic Youth episode and we were joking about that, like, uh, you know, them releasing like Death Valley 69 and, and kind of joking about like, yeah, what if the 60s were kind of bad and fucked up and that this kind of still has in its own like playful way that kind of jokey reference to like I don't know like Bonnie and Clyde or something absolutely yeah, as yeah. Like, yeah as like the the, the or, or like the goo uh, the kids in the car title of like running away you know like bad seeds <laughs> running away from home but it's like it's all like a goo in this yeah yeah, yeah, I've always thought that there's a lot of beat happening songs that feel like they could be theme songs of, of some kind in, in some fucked up <laughs> dystopic way. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> I also can't remember whether they mentioned the cramps in this chapter, but this is cramps vibes to me for sure. Yeah. Yes. Lo- love those. Yeah. I think he often I think he folks. mentions it once at the beginning of the chapter that yeah. cramp that he's cramping. It's gotten to the part <laughs> part where I've uh, I've all They're the, all all the influence are, are blending together into a right. sea a sea of punk. Um, so yeah, that that's their first album. Uh, they continue to confuse people with their stage presence and interpretation. <laughs> As Brett said, uh, poor beat happening. They don't know how to write songs. They don't know how to play their instruments, and they don't even have enough instruments. Like they just, you know, people are, which I understand that like, it's especially, I'm sure if you're like in a band and you're like a squad, you've been playing together and then you're on a bill with these like absolute rubes who like have to borrow your drum set that you would be (laughs) like, oh man, like these people are losers. But as we've learned from this book, being a loser is kind of (laughs) cool. And if, if, if being a loser is cool, then I actually think Beat Happening is one of the coolest bands ever. Uh, this They're might, making this an art of it. Come off as it like naive, but it, I just have to remind myself that like quote, borrowing the drum set in the context of this, it, it must have meant not like 
arranging beforehand, like meeting up with a group that you were going to like, hey, 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 we don't have drums to bring. Do you mind if we play yours? But just like showing up at the show and being like, yeah, hey, we don't have drums. Uh, can we just play your dr- your drums? And right. then like, what? I, who does that? And if they're like, right. no, like we're leaving, like we have to like get on the road right away. They'll be like, okay, anyone got like a box? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> y- y'all got like a but like an empty like crate, like a beer crate or something b- behind the bar that we could use. Which is yeah. that's fucking punk. I think yeah. that's cool. It's, it's the most punk thing. I think like Beat Happening really took the idea of, of punk and made it the most like democratizing version of it, where it's really yeah. like. You don't have to have any skill set. You don't even have to own the thing to show up and make sound. Yep. Um, which, I mean, in, in 2021, if someone were to do that, I'd be like, this is pretentious nonsense. <laughs> but, in, <laughs> but in like 1982, I'm like, wow, this is like fascinating, uh, yeah. gr- groundbreaking work. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm but just maybe imagining. also a little pretentious, you know, whatever. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's that thing where it's like, it's like this thin line here between like how much I love everything about it and then it's certain parts the way that it's described i'm like ah this is obnoxious nonsense uh it depends on the it depends on your mood i think a little bit mood the context uh it's 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 a tough bit to keep up 24 7 for decades at a time you know Sure. Yeah. I was um, revisiting Mark Spitz's book on tweaks. I was like, I'm sure he wrote about Beat Happening in, in some capacity. And he did. And I guess the idea was in Olympia, everybody was a little weird around this time also because in Calvin Johnson's universe. So they were doing all of these musical experiments. But in Seattle, they kind of looked at it as like moralistic and, and just kind of like silly and, and heady and pretentious, as, as we said, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. But I guess there's always going to be a sort of competition there. I mean, I hope no longer because sub pop. I guess wins in, in that <laughs> regard, but yeah. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, well, I guess they were also grunge focused while they were doing twee stuff, and yeah, that's one of the like. And I think this is a credit to Azrad's writing that every one of the cha- dis- discrete chapters in this book, and maybe especially this one, uh, has a kind of built-in tragedy of a kind to it. And one of the weird, weird, um, you know, maybe tragedy isn't the right way to put it, but but ironies of this one is that all of this is happening, this like weird little gentle but punk playground is building up like right at, as I said in the introduction, like as the sun is setting on this 80s thing and then grunge is about to just like explode like a supernova 60 miles north out of Seattle. And, you know, beat happening spoiler breaks up like right as that all that stuff happens and never gets back together and it's just like the, the, yeah this weird thing that that maybe had to exist and maybe had to die for the 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 grunge mid 90s alternative rock thing to to live i don't know it, that's like the the maybe writerly way to to write all of this stuff yeah I, I would say that's totally true, but my theory is the stuff ends so Riot Girl can take over. It yes, feels, that, that's, that is just, the other thing, yes. Yeah, um, and I guess like I also am drawn to this chapter maybe more so than others because this time in Olympia, women are in bands. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Some of Woo. the only <laughs> women in this book in bands are in this chapter. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, and they're often women drummers, which is cool, and they're playing in multiple bands, and they're like sharing instruments, as we said, and they're like changing roles, which to me is just like any local scene in any city in America still looks like, I mean, if it's worth a damn, in my opinion, it looks that way, um, which is mm-hmm. so contemporary. And also, you know, this is 40 years ago. Yes. Is that uh, right? Fu- yeah, full, 40. <laughs> fully integrated into the scene and not just your, your odd outliers. 
Exactly. Your yeah. Kira Rosslers. <laughs> your Kira your, Rosslers. Your, your errant Kiras. <laughs> uh, uh, who, have to, who have to suffer through uh, so much uh, masculine bullshit. I mean, well, I know we'll get to this a little later at the very end of this, that there's like a night. I mean, maybe not. Maybe this is overstating, but, you know, a night that you could say maybe Rye Girl was born uh, in, in one of the uh, the lineups. But I, I just pulled up a random Beat Happening live performance, one of the few on YouTube uh, that happened in uh, Boston. And <laughs> just like halfway through this, whatever this performance was, uh, Calvin goes to the crowd and is like interviewing people and being like, hey, what's your, where, where are you from? And one of the people that he pulls up to the stage is Kim Deal. <laughs> Uh, before she was Kim Deal, who's just at the Beat Happening show in Boston. Hey, young lady there. What, what, are you going to apply for that waitress job? No, I'm just going to get a pair. Okay, what, what's your name? Um, my name's Kim, uh, Kim Murphy. Kim, and where are you from? I'm, hi, I'm, I'm from Dayton, Ohio. Another Buckeye here. How about that? It's a, it's a Buckeye night here. What, do you guys get in half price or something? What's going on? Well, um, they let us in free, actually. Whoa. Who, who, who did that? <laughs> Okay, wait a minute. I gotta ask you an important question. What's your favorite candy? Your uh, milkshake will do. Does that count? Yeah, yeah, it counts. Uh, around the time, so it's just like the you know it, it is welcoming. It was fermenting. Yeah. The the sourdough starter was was uh, <laughs> was, was bubbling. Yeah. Let's see what is happening with what is happening <laughs> with these beats. Uh, they also, of all the bands in this book, they seem to be able to like take time off and then get back together more than anyone else. Like everyone else, either kind of implodes slash explodes. Uh, but they took some time off in 1985. They got back together. They toured without Heather. Heather sounds like she, you know, she's an interesting figure because she sounds basically very kind of shy and retiring um, someone who's obviously interested in creating music and, you know, being part of a scene, but content to let someone like Calvin uh, literally be like gyrating with his tummy out at the front <laughs> of the stage while she's like doing her thing. Um, which again, it's a, it's an interesting type of musician as someone who, you know, wa wants to be in there, but is not, uh, you know, s sucking up the spotlight, but she basically is, it sounds like she's mostly just like too nervous to keep playing live. So they replace her with uh, Brett's girlfriend who in, you know, the style of music is such that you can learn how to play it pretty <laughs> easily and swap people in and out, uh, which is cool. And then after that tour, they, um, they're kind of coasting for a little bit and then they have uh, a mutual affiliation with a guy from an Australian band that I'm probably going to mispronounce, the K the Canaan's? Canaan's? Canaan's. Canaan's. The Canaan's. Yeah. Uh, there you go. That was great. <laughs> I, uh, the Canines. Uh, Be Happening got a call from Rough Trade uh, because one of their, uh, some of their tunes got passed to uh, Rough Trade and they were like, we want to put out your album in the UK. So they got the boost that way. Um, and then their next album is Jamboree in 1988, which uh, Gerard Cosloy, uh, uh, I was going to say unsung hero, semi-sung hero. I feel like he's always there. Uh, as a booster, he said in his uh, zine, he called this album the most sexually charged rock LP since some Bauhaus disc I forgot the name of, <laughs> which I thought was a very good line. It's, it's it so is good. a very good good line. <laughs> uh, let's listen to something off of Jamboree. Yeah. Uh, the 
easiest one to go to is Indian Summer, but that's kind of also the sad sad one. So I'm going to do Midnight at Go-Go first, and then we'll do a little Indian Summer. Don't you mind that daily grind, because I walk down the side streets too. fills and like multi-tracking and shit yeah there's a, a I heard a symbol that doesn't come <laughs> in a yogurt cup so that's a little midnight ago just to show their progression and then of course we have to play a little bit of Indian Summer which I have to say one of their signature songs you said that you, that we were going to get to that Maria you know yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the, the one everyone knows. I was going to say the banger, but it's certainly not, <laughs> not, not a banger. A, a banger to cry to, perhaps. It's yeah. <laughs> Maria, were you at the, did you, were you in New York for the our band 10-year concert? I don't think so. I, I imagine I would remember that. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I was just, yeah. I was just Who wondering. covered Beat Happening? Yellow Ostrich. Oh, okay. They were good. They played, they played just Indian Summer, and it was, uh. Elegag. It was very beautiful. Huh. Yeah, why? <laughs> was it one song, one band? Uh, some bands or did, did some people do more? Some bands did two. I remember them just doing this one, but maybe it being like a seven minute long version of yeah. it. <laughs> Breakfast in cemetery, boy tasting wild cherry. Touch girl, apple blossom, just a boy playing possum. We'll come back for Indian summer. We'll come back for Indian summer. We'll come back for Indian summer. What is that cheerful sound? Rain falling on the ground We'll wear a jolly crown Buckle up, we're wayward bound We'll come back for Indian summer We'll come back for Indian summer We'll come back for Indian summer And go a separate way It is just an incredible vocal performance. I feel like every time you think you know what he like, how is he's going to deliver something? He changes uh, it ever so slightly. Yeah, and you can never. It's quite, very raw. You can never quite tell if he's like doing it on purpose or if it's actually like he, he can't hold a note or something. Yeah. <laughs> also, as Azarad notes, he love my man loves talking about food. He does love to talk about food. And a lot of fruit in this one. The sexiest (laughs) genre of food. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Fruits are the sexiest foods. Cover me with rain. Walk me down the lane. I'll drink from your drain. We will never change. (laughs) Sorry, we got a second. 
Yeah. Uh, I can't, like, I would just imagine hearing that in, in 1988. I would start a band immediately. It just seems like, wow, you can write a song that good with, with such limited materials. Yeah. You, you play two notes on a guitar, and again, I mean, a slightly better recorded there, but, you know, the, uh, the, the, the yogurt bottles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, and you're like, that's it? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I also, um, I know Jamboree tends to be people's favorite uh, Beat Happening record, or at least the one that gets the most credit. Uh, I kind of like them all for their own reasons, but this one, I think you get more of um, Heather. She just sounds like more of a, like a confident singer, I think, of the song In Between. Um, and that, to me, just sounds like something like Frankie Cosmos could have written mm. like a couple of years ago. It feels <laughs> so incredibly contemporary and like how and the indie pop trajectory has kind of gone. Um I know we just listened to a full a full one, but we haven't played any Heather songs yet. Yeah, so let's, let's do put, it. Let's put on yeah. in between. And this is one of her maybe more rocking ones. Yes, yeah. It also sounds like a Lois song. Uh, <laughs> Lois Mafia, yeah. It's also funny to be like, damn, there's like a chord progression in this one. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's funny because their voices are different, but they're also like both good, bad in the exactly sa- exact same way. Right. I'm trying to remember, are there anywhere they sing together? And I, remember when my I don't think there are. I think, think they're any. either one or the other. Right. Because if one's singing, the other's got to be on the drums. I like to and imagine they certainly to not to harmonize once. Yeah, it's not going to work out. They're certainly not going to drum and sing at the same time. Oh, That's right. way, yeah. way, way, way above, above the, uh, <laughs> the skill level. I just... You, get, you have to imagine, like... This is one of those bands that you like read about, and you're like, "What does this band s- sound like?" And then you pick <laughs> up the record and you you listen to it and be like, "Are these people?" Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that is one of the magical things about this is like even coming at the end of this whole book that is filled with these bands that that like came out of nowhere, came from nothing to like build tiny little kingdoms around them, or not even kingdoms, it's just like fandoms or whatever. Uh, around them uh, that something like this must have had such mystique around it of being like, the, the, yeah, these people like, they, they live in a, a they, I heard they live in like a, a, a disused fish cannery in Washington and yeah. they make these crazy <laughs> so- songs about like, you know, like hot chocolate, weird, sexy child songs. I don't know how to describe <laughs> it. Hot chocolate, but it's a metaphor for something different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They kind of rip, but they also kind of can't play their instruments at all. It's it's very cool. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard They're, and soft, as Heather sings in the song. What a moment of self-awareness. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the vocal performances really are, like, uh, in the same way that the uh, instrumentation is, the idea that, you know, you don't have to... It's not that they don't know how to sing, but the delivery is just so kind of simple and pure that, like, it, I think it could make you think, like... Well, I can sing basically that good. Like I'll say, I'll sing. I it kind of cuts out the the um, 
I think we had spoke earlier in with various artists about like if you see someone like a rock god on stage like fucking queen or whatever like you will never look at it and be like I can do that you'll be like that guy is different than me in some essential way and I do feel like beat happening is like the end point of like anyone anyone can do it if you want to even if you're recording you know acapella people who don't aren't professional musicians at all off the street right also what's a professional musician anyway yeah, I think that's truer for listening to like the records or the tapes even because I've heard that argument too with like the live performance and I'm like, I don't know, man. I've seen Calvin and his other bands and that man certainly has something I don't have and I think it might be like total lack of shame and like, <laughs> and, like complete confidence. Like, uh, yeah. it just, uh, but then the actual musicality, it's like, okay, maybe it takes like balls to get up there and, and do the damn thing. But, but like in, in the music, I don't know. I could very easily be a Heather. I could be a shy person behind a very mm. like gregarious person. Yeah. Um, I mean, as somebody who's been trying to nail the perfect Calvin Johnson, our secret impression for almost 20 years at this point, the, the I feel like the, the eternal lesson from Calvin Johnson is you can't sing like Calvin Johnson but you can may you can maybe sing like yourself if you put that confidence into singing like your own weird thing in that own way that makes you somebody that some other person is going to be trying to sing like 20 years from now. Totally. That's that's the takeaway. But if everybody wants to sing in like a monotone baritone, I'd be a very happy person. <laughs> yes, it's certainly a range that I can work with. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I can't sound exactly like it. And it'll make your band just sound cooler. <laughs> For sure. In a really fundamental way. Um, well, the band at this point, you know, they're achieving some level of, uh, of regional success, you know, getting, I think some maybe college radio play at this point, they're still working. Um, they, uh, Brett is a fish packer and a bookstore worker, which is that, I don't know if that's the most, uh, Washington state combination of jobs (laughs) of all time. Uh, Heather is cooking in restaurants and then Calvin is like barely making, uh, ends meet with K records. Um, so they're all, they're all still working as they're, as they're doing this thing. Um, and they put out, uh, black candy. That's their, uh, next, next levular to, uh, album. Should we listen to something from that? Yes. Uh, I, this is, probably my favorite of theirs is a whole album unsurprisingly because it's their dark one. Oh yeah. Uh, but I will do, Maria, do you have one that you like off of this more than the others? I, it's actually my least favorite All of, right, well, of the beat well, happening records. Um, but yeah, go for it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll just do uh, black candy, which is maybe their most crampsy song. All right. Yeah, this is their 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 Bauhaus. There you go. Spinning straw into gold is just strike every so Joan of Arc, help on hay, ball and chain, kneel and pray, black candy. I'm trying to uh, think is tell if uh, um, if Heather's 
maybe very gently singing behind some of the uh, chorus of this. Or it could just be like a slightly different track counting. I can't quite tell. I, I can't tell either. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, this is what Black Candy sounds like. <laughs> a little Hell sleazy yeah. as far as beat happening goes. Sleazy, yeah. The... I appreciate the experiment, but for I always, I just, I want to be charmed. I want, I want everything that they do to be darling. <laughs> yeah. But this is also around the time where they start like opening for Fugazi and stuff. Is This is the album, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, where... yeah. 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 It's good for that, I guess. <laughs> it's good material to start playing with some heavier. heavier that is acts. true. That is true. That is more in the in the vibe of a uh, as, as we have discovered that Fugazi is basically a punk a punk jam band. Yes. <laughs> yes. Of, yeah. of a certain description. Uh, but um, but also that like during that Fugazi time is also when they get like you know heckled starting to get oh, heckled yeah. even most like the 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 ashtray incident is from the Fugazi tour, right? Yeah, yes, Calvin yeah. gets beaned in the face with an ashtray, <laughs> keeps playing with a bloody nose, which again, very punk rock. Very punk and rock. Uh, uh, Ian Mackay calls him uh, courageous. He says <laughs> that's uh, that's some courageous punk rock, which I just I just feel like that's some real Ian shit of just being like, yeah, like I I can't think of anything more honorable than like playing <laughs> through your nosebleed. Like you really pass the you you pass the, the punk test. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> It's yeah, that, I mean, that can't be easy to like, you know, several years into your career, just like keep playing to people that are, you know, treating you like that. I, I can't imagine I can't imagine how demoralizing that is or could be because even at this point, their sound has developed a little further where I don't know, they probably sound more like a quote band when they play. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah. the one that I just can't get over is them opening for Black Flag in 1984 when they were barely a, again, quote, band <laughs> uh, playing live. And apparently, like, Rollins got on the stage and heckled them and M- molested. Uh, yeah, 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 like attempted to uh, grab Calvin, Calvin's like, junk from the, uh, from the front, uh, front row. Uh, and what was his, Calvin Johnson's? response something along he said the lines like of, did, did you didn't your mother teach you any manners yes yeah <laughs> which is a uh, yeah and that that shook him off yes <laughs> that is a very like i i do feel like in henry rollins brain him just watching like an early beat happening show and just being like how what is this how do i get like how do i break these people like i need i'm right. i want like the confrontational thing I how mean, does this, how did, what did you say? Playfully co- confrontational? Yeah. Or confrontational. confrontationally confrontationally playful. playful. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, Rollins just being like, how do I fit what these people are doing into my worldview? Yeah. That's right. like, not, it does not compute. Yeah, yeah. 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 And getting back at him with a line where you're invoking a mom. <laughs> Incredible. Yes. Incredible. <laughs> Super indie pop. Bring moms Naughty. back into yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> Mom, Momcore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that that so yeah, they're playing with Fugazi. They uh this is also kind of the uh the the brain drain of the Pacific Northwest scene where, you know, uh label major labels are already smelling blood with what's going on in Seattle and everyone's kind of getting scooped up. Um and beat happening are it doesn't even sound like I don't even know if they're taking those calls or if they're just playing a music that is so different that they're not even like really included in that scene at all. Yeah, I can't imagine that uh, major labels were were 
like they they never got that popular. They when mm-hmm. they kept taking hiatuses and they like when they toured they would do just like little like four or five day tours it sounds like. Yeah, they're super inconsistent and also like the whole ethos of K is supposed to be this anti-consumerist food co-op kind of yeah, yeah. fuck hippies but also kind of a hippie ethos to to be living under. Yeah, I don't know. If they'd ever entertain major labels, but who knows. Calvin's a little calculating. Yeah. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe if they, they had pressed forward another album or two, they would have been like a weird proto arcade fire or something. <laughs> oh God! Please don't will that into the universe. <laughs> <laughs> a nightmare I'm going to have later. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, as as we turn uh, into the '90s, the kind of what seems like the swan song in a lot of ways of beat happening is a festival that uh, Calvin plans, which is called the International Pop Underground Convention, which was uh, a K Records joint that uh, it sounded... I hadn't heard of, and now I'm not going to remember it because I didn't put it in my notes, but there was a conference that wasn't um, CMJ, but there was like a new like new music conference or like some, some such at that time in New York that sounded both influential, but also incredibly boring and stodgy. <laughs> I can't. I'm not gonna be able to remember what exactly it was yeah, called. It was but some, but they all they also listed CMJ, which is the College right. Music College Music Journal, right? Yeah, they, they yes. have they still do festivals where they like you know promote you know what's gonna be hot on college radio next year. Mm-hmm. But so this is it. Sounds like they took all that uh, jazz and were like, what if it was actually fun and people liked <laughs> to go to it? And uh, the basically planned a rock and roll summer camp. Um, which, you know, typical of a, an Olympia scene would be like, all right, let's let's make this like a, a childlike fun thing. Um, so they planned a super fun festival. They had all kinds of bands there playing um, L7, uh, Fugazi, Nation of Ulysses. They had international bands. Uh, I want to shout out personally that they had the Fastbacks there uh, and introducing Lore, uh, Duff McKagan, played an early show in whatever band he was in at the time. And uh, I believe Kim from the Fastbacks like loaned him a bass, like <laughs> basically like saved his ass when he was touring or something. And so if it, if it weren't for that, Duff McKagan in the, in Guns N' Roses would have never existed in quite the same way. So uh, sh- shout out to that. <laughs> our, our, our second intersection with uh, the career, the, the base career of Guns N' Roses. Well, D- Duff is a real example of someone else coming out of the Pacific Northwest that instead of, you know, he's a, a little early for grunge and he just went the, the Sunset Strip route. <laughs> he and, I mean, it's but funny he that punk he, music and, uh, he and Calvin are like basically contemporaries from like 60 miles down the road. Yeah, maybe, maybe slightly, so. Maybe he's slightly older. Yeah. But Maria, D- Duff McKagan is always an object of, fascination from the show because he was the first episode we did uh, was his memoir ah okay I was gonna say interesting tangent but go yeah, off, yeah. man yeah, no, his, so whenever we, we intersect with Duff we have to bring we him have up. to shout out Duff <laughs> gotcha. he, was, he was episode one of uh, of and introducing so uh, whenever yes. Duff lore comes up we gotta talk about Duff yep uh, another participants at the play uh, at the international pop underground I do have to shout out uh, mm-hmm. shadowy men and a shadowy planet one of the Canadian entrants who you might know as the uh, theme song writers for Kids in the Hall. (laughs) 
play a snippet of that because it's a bop, but it, it also is, is like kind of like that thing that I was talking about earlier of like how all these different groups were kind of converging on the same aesthetic in uh, a different way, uh, in different places at a different time, and and how you know Calvin was wiring them all together through this node of Olympia. Yeah, the um, I mean this this festival in general sounds like it was. The, the social event was as important as anything that was happening musically, like just literally in terms of people being able to meet each other. I feel like, you know, pre-internet, <laughs> the idea of like making connections <laughs> IRL was way more important. Um, apparently, this wasn't clocked in the book, but I guess Kurt Cobain was like, damn, I really wish I could have gone to it. I was on <laughs> tour with Nirvana. I just yeah. like the idea of Kurt having FOMO for yeah. this <laughs> festival. Like, that's so funny. Um, but yeah, as, as was previously mentioned, um, the Love Rock uh, Revolution Girl Style Now night was the sort of proto- riot girl night it was all uh originally i don't think they were even going to let men come in and attend um but then they 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 opened it up to everybody and it was all um you know female fronted or female centric bands uh many of which went on to form the riot girl movement which is you know if beat happening did anything or if k records did anything that, that's that's pretty good <laughs> i'd say so yeah, pat on the back for that. Was it specifically Kathleen Hanna who ha- had to like play, get them to convince them to play, to let them play first because her mom had to drive her home? Yeah, later? had to drive her home. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, I love the idea of having these like early Riot Girl meetings and being like, but maybe men shouldn't be here at all. That's I don't know. That's yeah, that's yeah. Really funny to me. Yeah, and just a total like, isolation. Oh, like maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe we want to play to a full room. Yes, right. that's what I was thinking. <laughs> being like that. that that balance you have to draw being like, should we get only girls or do we want to actually have a crowd in a rock scene? Right. Yep. yep. The biggest show of your career, career air quotes, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> Playing for, you know, Ian Mackay, et cetera. Right. Like, yeah. maybe you want to do that. <laughs> they said that Mackay was like taking tickets during some, some of it. It's like the, the vibes level of this thing is like truly off the charts. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like it was amazing. Ultimate punk event, also ultimate punk event through friendship, which I love. It just seems like everybody's just like buds getting along, and it's so precious in that way. Yeah, yeah. which is like the weird arc of this book, and also how it all, as I was referencing, all these things have like this kind of weird. And again, this is this is Azarad's design. It's like it has this weird arc that starts with this like vile. This, I, I mean, I love it. This hilarious vile blackness sludge of black flag. And ends in this, like, the international pop underground. And it's like, one of these things couldn't exist without the other. I mean, maybe could, but, you know, it's arguable. We don't have to do do causation. But (laughs) he traces a straight line through these things. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it is this this wonderful arc that ends in this, like, celebration of everything that we brought together. The ability to draw together this label that's putting out albums from these band of, like, Japanese women who are making like lovely pop punk music and, and this indie pop band that is punk as hell, but it is still just uh, built around uh, like all the, 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 these, you know, earnestness and everything uh, mm. culminating in this festival. Let's bring all these people together to do all this thing. Uh, and then it happening breaks up and all, every band that we've talked about 
yeah, other than like a scarce few like Sonic Youth and and Fugazi persists for a while. Like it is like an end of an era thing the way that he's presenting it. And I think that's one way to read it, but it's not a the definitive way to read it, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean in this uh, in at least beat happening specifically, you know. I mean, we can listen to they put out I think two more albums um before. Oh, we got to we got to listen to some Hot Chocolate Boy. We gotta listen. Yeah. We, that's my that's my favorite BFF song. Once I listen to that, I will be singing that song all day it's so to myself good. in like yeah. a sort of sad droning way. I also want to say, since I guess people can't see us, my face hurts from smiling. These songs just make me so happy in a way that does feel very boy band to me. Yeah, it's yeah. Elating. It's really like elating simplicity and I guess. Uh, perverse cuteness i don't know i mean it's fun it to listen to giddy. yeah do you do you find calvin to be a boy best boy band-esque figure i think in many ways yeah i think there is the sort of um inherent playfulness to everything that he does that is is very boy band i mean i guess he would probably hate that because there are a few things more consumerist than than um uh the manufactured boy band but uh i i think there is like a like a playful energy and also you know, in some songs, a sort of coded sexuality that persists in both Beat Happening and in boy bands, but of course Beat Happening eventually becomes more explicit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a fu- that's a fun little like think piece for me to <laughs> for me to sit <laughs> on. Well, it's, it's interesting. If we could dive into that for a second because you know, I think you're right that he would find like the the boy band comparison maybe objectionable because boy bands the way that they're constructed in our modern terms, at least since you know the eighty late eighties nineties, uh, are very 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 consumerist. But also Calvin is very image obsessed. He gets image and projection right. of image and he he knows what he's selling. It's cultivating. He's playing playing with it. And yeah, that, I, that is a crossover. And he, you know, it's in that the the motto that I said at the very beginning, against the corporate ogre, but at the same time, he gets the marketing. He gets it. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a little like tongue in cheek. Um and I love the detail. I think it's in the chapter where Azrad says like in the press photos he hides behind mm-hmm. like, other band members mm-hmm. to sort of appear more bashful, but you know he's this confident guy and I'm like, if that ain't boy band marketing <laughs> totally. I don't know what is. It's so it's so uh, particular and specific and meticulous, I guess. And it's also uh going back to the or much earlier, the quiet uh, like you know, the cover your face, like uh, you know, fe- feign bashfulness type yeah. stuff. So yeah. cute. <laughs> so quiet. Yes. Now I'm just imagining like, you know, you're building a boy band. You have uh you have the cute <laughs> one, you have the sexy one, you have the uh um the like kind of mysterious one, and then you have Calvin. <laughs> I thought you were gonna do uh, uh you're building a boy band, you have fifteen dollars meme, and I was trying to think of where oh. I put Calvin on the tier list. I think he maybe oh. be in like like a three dollar tier because you know well, he, what's the he's range a little low five, but you're getting a, a some bang for your buck in in, in building your fantasy. Your right. Boy band. We'll have to yeah. chart that. I think that actually I, be really funny. I don't think he would enjoy not having the attention. He likes being the front person and sort of controlling and and, and doing his his little dance moves. Which I would love to know <laughs> more about the origins of them because in my mind, I imagine he was like reading about what British bands were doing and trying to mimic those moves and then finally seeing those things live and then like doing his own interpretation of it. I, I yeah, I wonder where the origin of, of his, uh, his like not the pogoing, but all the other weird yeah, stuff. The, the, the tummy showing yeah. is, is the, particularly the confounding. to the mid back is, I yes. would say his signature yeah. move. Yeah. yeah. It does sound like somebody like read what Ian Curtis was like when he performed and was like, okay, I'll do that without having seen it. 
That's that's my theory. I, I was definitely thinking Ian Curtis in, in what I was saying. All right, so, let's, yeah. let's listen to Hot Chocolate Boy. Yes. A certified yeah. banger. It is. song with like drops once i get out it does have drops once i get out from this mountain of um working deadlines i've been under i'm gonna make a an electro remix of hot chocolate boy please please do do you think calvin would send me the stems if i asked nicely lisa please anyway great song love it yeah just love it Another band that just like continues developing without a losing their central thing. I mean, not that they ever get slick, but this is certainly like slicker right. than the be- beginning thing. But like around this, it's like just locked in and perfect about what it is the group needs to be. Mm-hmm. I, I think these recordings are all really great. Yeah, which is makes the whole I guess lo-fi designation kind of interesting to me because I'm like I don't I like I hear that someone worked on this it doesn't feel like bedroom recording so i wonder if like this is also when we start to change our definition of lo-fi where it just means like wobbly sounding yeah right flat singing um i don't know it has like an amateurish quality to it yeah he right ezra mentions uh offhand that the wipers uh guy whose name i'm going to forget did like fairly laborious digital editing on some of the later albums which Mm. is one of the things where i would like to know more yeah. <laughs> show me your stems. Show me right. your show me your uh, Yeah, exactly. Are there window. stems for Hot Chocolate Boy? There might be. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. I mean any any other that, that's kind of, you know, they they sort of fizzle out. Uh I think in the same the the metaphor I would use is that if you've got a co-op grocery store, your your next business plan isn't like, okay, sick. We're going to open these all over the country right. and then internationally <laughs> and then like have these be huge. No, you ha- you got your one co-op in your one town and like you're you're chilling and I feel like that's kind of what what happened to be happening is is uh there there was no commodification, there was no international uh There's no growth strategy. There's no scale. They didn't scale. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Not to bring that 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 dirty word back into the into the biz, but they're, they they did not scale. They did not want to. I don't think any of them wanted to. Yeah, and and it seemed like the uh, other two members specifically wanted to like move on and do other things. And Calvin continued running K for a long time. Uh, and I mean, I don't want to harp on it too long, but like K was influential forever, and like had a you know hundred good acts come out on it. 
mm-hmm. obviously still very supportive of the scene. Uh, eventually, as in fairly recently, they ran into some uh, artist payment trouble, um, which you know we I, we were just looking into this right before we started to get the full story on. But it, it doesn't seem like everything's come out about it. But you know, it's like eventually every single one of these la- labels basically ran into artist payment trouble. So it seems like. K maybe just uh, escaped that hammer falling for like two decades longer than something like SST did, mm-hmm. or th- or three, de- three de- decades later. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. I saw Calvin Johnson play. Is he the only guy that I've seen out of this whole thing? Yes, I think that he's the only one I've seen live. I saw him play uh, for the Hive Dwellers uh, at Market Hotel in like mm-hmm. 2013. And uh, me and Nathan, who entered, you know, of the Trumans, uh, referenced <laughs> earlier, uh, went and saw them there, and we were having a great time, and we're chatting back and forth in the very, very back of the crowd about how much we were happy to see Calvin Johnson play live when uh, Todd P, infamous early aughts New York concert promoter, came over and personally shushed us. So that's my <laughs> Calvin Johnson uh, uh, performance story. Yeah, classic New York story. Was Calvin wearing white cowboy boots? Just didn't, out of curiosity, didn't see his <laughs> boots. I'm trying to remember his fit. I it, it seemed very plain <laughs> to me. I think it was it was um like a, a short sleeve button up maybe button up shirt and like slacks. Yeah, slacks. <laughs> <laughs> a modest man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> knows. Yeah, uh, no, because the last couple of times I've I've seen him, he's wearing these white cowboy boots, and I'm like, I guess it helps with the dance moves, but it feels really kind of out of misplaced. I don't know. <laughs> That's a cho- yeah, that's a choice. I would say it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> a that's definitely a choice. Yeah, uh, I've I've seen Calvin play in, in different bands and also like um, a lot of Olympia like music of this time period still play in Olympia. It's like the same people. It's like it's Lois playing with Calvin and they're but they're just doing it in like a rec room or, or something like that. It's kind of funny that um, they still are, are doing it. They're, they're doing this indie pop thing. And uh, you know, now they're just middle-aged and have families and stuff, which is, which I find to be precious. I like that mm-hmm. idea. Have you ever seen Calvin play in any of the dub narcotic formations? I have. Yes. Um, Did it rip? I would love to see him play in in one of those. I thought it was, I, I had a great time. I thought it was really fun. Um, I, I did make me think that like, I wish I was watching the talking heads. I don't remember why. <laughs> I mean, that time, you know, <laughs> Molly, this is a little out of the scope of this book, but like one of his major projects after this, he basically starts like a dub funk band. Yeah, totally. That <laughs> exists over multiple permutations and they're all really great out of your mind. And uh, 1998 is a little more dub. And then he meets up with the John Spencer blues explosion to create sideways soul. And I just want to play a few minutes of banana meltdown. <laughs> I just wanted to get to Dune Buggy, uh-uh, Banana mount, Meltdown. <laughs> the fruits reappear. Yeah, the fruits reappear. Uh, <laughs> when in doubt, sing about food. Everyone eats it. So that's just a little yeah. of the, the post-beat career. Brett and Heather haven't uh, really done any musical projects afterwards that I am aware of. Yeah, it makes the 
it makes a lot of sense, at least for Calvin's like musical trajectory, because I feel like after a while he just really wanted to dance <laughs> and to uh-huh. make people dance um, while yes. still coming from this like be- like punk background. So it's like, of course, this is like what he's into these days. Yeah, yeah, and the also just doing like dub stuff is also makes so much sense because all that dub background is so much like the producer influence, like band. Like the studio is the band, is the performer, is like it, it, it's all of a thing, and it's also something that is like I get why he would be attracted to it because something like oh I can transmute this in my own weird retro square cool way to right. be like what would be like the funniest thing for Calvin Johnson to become after beat happening oh yeah a dub producer <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he does it all in his own studio, which is in the basement of the synagogue where where K Records is now. Uh, yeah, which is I don't know, also charming to me. Yeah. So n- no more in the the story, Molly. That that's it for the the beats, the beats uh, or the happenings. Not <laughs> not I'm not sure which is better. Uh, I mean, do we? Does anybody have any like final thoughts about about this? I mean, all I, I think of is like for how ramshackle of an act this whole thing is. It's also one of the most aesthetically coherent things yeah. uh, in the entire book, which is something that I really appreciate. And, but the thing is, is like when you make your whole aesthetic, a crayon drawing of a K inside of a shield, it's like easy to make it work, but it's also not like anyone could to quote Ratatouille. Anyone could do this. <laughs> or like this could come from anywhere, but not anyone could do this, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love that. I, I think also of like of any of the bands in the book, and again, this is probably my own personal taste in myopia. It just seems so consistently relevant, even like starting as a cassette label. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just so easy and cheap to manufacture, which is just at the heart of like DIY and and punk. I um I rewatched the K documentary that came out in two thousand for this, um, and Steve Fisk, who worked on on some of the Beat Happening records, said that like Calvin would run around and tell everybody it was a cassette revolution, and then eventually <laughs> Beat Happening does vinyl, right? They're doing seven inches, and uh, and he's like, hey, what's that about? And then Calvin goes, didn't you hear? We won. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which That's is like, good. Oh, what, a, what a response. <laughs> He's not wrong, though, because he, yeah. he got the word of the band out through the cassettes, and that got right. enough attention to make the vinyls. Right, yeah. And I'm still buying cassettes, you know? So <laughs> People are still the, putting yeah. cassettes out. We press the, the cassette revolution is, is moving onward. We press yeah. my other podcast to a cassette uh, as, a, as a bit. <laughs> but we did it two years ago. That's such, a fu- I, that's such a fun idea, I think. Wow, I think, yeah. I think people will start doing that unironically. Maybe I don't know. I'm I'll buy ma- anything on tape. I'm I'm such a loser about this stuff. I'm gonna make the po- <laughs> the podcast vinyl someday. <laughs> yeah, it's just a spoken word record. Put put Best every every episode of the podcast out on a vinyl. Start yeah. the collection. Box Look, up. as they say, as they say, or or spelled out in I believe this chapter, one of the recent ones I've been reading, I've been skipping all over, that the, the problem with vinyl pressing is that you have to put at least a thousand copies of vinyl yeah. in to make the order worthwhile. Uh, so that's a big order. So only one I can figure out that at least a thousand people will want to order vinyls of every podcast that we record. <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, well, with all that, let's maybe move confidently into the end part of this episode. Maria, thank you 
so much for yeah. coming on. It's been great talking about Beat Happening with you. Love this band. Love talking with you. I've admired your work for a long time. Is there anything that you would like to plug? Oh, um, well, I wrote a book about boy bands, which you already mentioned, which has little to nothing to do about this. It has. Like, I think we have established <laughs> that it does have something to do with this. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I've gotten support from the people at K Records because, again, I think once you're obsessed with this stuff and they're still as friendly as ever, if you want to interact with them, they will respond. Um, <laughs> so perhaps they'll be delighted that I'm using this opportunity to talk about um, the boy band book. But uh, that's kind of it. Um, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I appreciate the uh, the local Olympia intel as well. Oh, yeah. Olympia on the ground. The- coolest place in the entire universe I, I still really believe that though i could never live there the rain is just absurd but maybe that's why they have the freaks they're stuck in their basements as i said i don't know they're stuck inside they're they're playing music and they're having drinking tea, tea. yeah exactly <laughs> honestly so, i mean i was about to say it sounds kind of good i'm like i would actually like to leave my house <laughs> I've, asked, <laughs> yes, I've been here right for now, a while yes. yeah yeah but maybe in a couple of years back back to the indoor lifestyle i can see it <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did, did you did you live up in that area for for a while? Did you say, or or did, were you just visiting on your various no, musical I would just, travels? Yeah, I would, yeah, I would just visit, and then um, in every April, there's the PopCon, the like music writer conference in Seattle, mm. and I would typically spend a couple of days so I could hang out in Olympia and buy a bunch of tapes I don't need. <laughs> it's like I read this book and I was like, okay, great, found my personality. <laughs> I'm <set>. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> as is, as is becoming clear. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to our personal plugs. Molly, anything that you want to talk about? Um, the only thing, what, what day is this coming out? <laughs> oh God. I, I think this is coming what? out like May 3rd or something. Well, no, 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 no. Like okay. end, end of May. This might even end be coming out like the first week of June or something. Oh my Ooh. goodness. Well, I, I think Evergreen plug is just to uh, subscribe to the Alternatives YouTube channel to see the videos that I've been making for them, which are coming out semi, semi regularly. I make a series for them called The Details, where I interview artists about the special details that went into the writing and recording and releasing of their albums. Uh, that is my plug. That's all I got. If this is coming out when I think it's coming out, I just I just announced <laughs> this like four days ago, and it is happening in two days. You are required. You st- stop listening to this right now and go to frqncy.live and buy tickets to the Frequency Festival. It is ten acts one day this Saturday, June fifth, a streaming concert that I fucking produced. <laughs> I very much want it to be a success. We've got every time I die. We've got uh, on the music side. We've got every time I've die. We've got Zola Jesus. We've got Downtown Boys. We got Pom Pom Squad. We got Stay Inside on the podcast side. You know who it is. It's Chapo Trap House. It's We Hate Movies. It's uh, uh, Throwing Fits. It's Tinder Live with Lane Moore. It's, uh, uh, it's Episode One. It's gonna be fucking dope. I'm so excited to put this festival on. And at this point even though I'm recording this six weeks ahead of time, I'm probably losing my goddamn mind about putting this thing together. <laughs> you will so, be when you're editing this episode. Ew. Yes, exactly. Uh, so <laughs> when you are listening to this, if you are listening to this, when it comes out and you haven't bought tickets to this, what the fuck are you doing? You are. Cl- oh, be nice, Chris. Be nice. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're clearly, if you are listening to this, when you are listening to this, you're, you're clearly both a music head, a, a DIY head, and a Chris Wade head. So 
put all those things together and please buy tickets to the Frequency Festival. Pom Pom Squad announced a new album. Zola Jesus is doing a, like a brand new set. Brand new set for the entire thing. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm not bringing sick. earnestness punk, punk to this. We're chilling, man. Daddy-o, we're creating a vibe. And you want to be part of it. <laughs> this is going to be a big B-in. Uh, that is going to be Daddy-o? I mean, I don't I know. I not. Uh, it's going to be a swinging party. It is going to be a swinging party. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. I, this comes from Azra talking about uh, Calvin using all that, uh, that, that beatnik sure, language. Sure, sure. There you uh, go. Yep. No, this is going to be the International Pop Underground of 2021 uh, Brooklyn Music and Pod. So what, you do you want it. to be involved or not? It's up to you. Make the choice. Don't be Kurt Cobain. <laughs> yes. <don't> be <laughs> On tour. <laughs> Couldn't make uh, it. Yeah. yeah. You're going to want to say that you were there. Anyway, frequency.live. F-R-Q-N-C-Y.live. Get your tickets right now. It's happening in, I believe, two days. <laughs> Uh, that's it. That's my plug. Thank you for enduring that long plug. I'm just deep <laughs> in the uh, in the, in the, in the pit of of You're figuring out how sauce. to promo the, promo this thing, Maria. That was a great plug. That was really animated. I was too bashful, but perhaps we'll say it was the theme of the podcast. And <laughs> I was just I'm in character, method acting. <laughs> uh, well, with that, we will close the book on our band can be your life. This has been a wonderful series. Uh, thank you all for you joining. hear that that was me closing the book <laughs> <laughs> from the middle uh, it's been a wonderful series thank you all for who have listened to everything for your, uh, joining us in going through this this concludes our first miniseries except we will hopefully have a special bonus episode with the man himself Michael Azarad coming after this mm-hmm. so talk to you when that happens until then <laughs> see you later on and introducing introducing